0: Good morning, I'm Mark Blair, and today we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. It can be found on page uh, 959 in your pew Bible. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. All right.
1: Hey again, if we haven't met, my name is Chris. I'm thankful you guys are here. Uh, I'll let you decide if we stage the child dedication on the first Sunday of a series in the church or not. Um, if you think we have that kind of leadership acumen, or if it was accidental, you can decide. Uh, but I'm thankful that you're here. Let me just kind of frame for you where we're going the next couple of weeks as we start a little mini-series on the church. Um, I don't know kind of how you think about the church, what your experience has been in the church. I realize in a room like this, you have people who were dedicated the week after they were born You've been in the church for like 90 years. There are people who maybe this is your very first Sunday in the church, but all of us have some conception of what the church is supposed to be. And so I have two kind of horizons. One is a a far kind of cultural horizon to think about um, what it is the church is meant to be in the world as we come out of the pandemic and we think about things that got exposed that I think were probably already there in the church. But as you think about just what's been in the press, how leaders have um, risen and fallen The ways things actually, we've raised some questions, like not meeting for a while, made us wonder, do we actually have to meet? Can you do this thing virtually? What's the nature of these relationships? Lots of people shuffled churches during the pandemic, and so a lot of us are just asking questions about what is church to begin with? And again, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're in the room or you're watching, like, I'm really thankful that you're even asking the question, what is the church supposed to be? So so I want to have that in my mind, to think about not unraveling all the cultural stuff that we carry, but... But I wanted to say some things about the church from God's word to give us some orientation. We're not trying to get back to some golden era of the American church. We're trying to understand what God designed his church to be so that we can live into that as a people. And I hope it's like instructive. I hope it's healing in some ways. And it should be reorienting for us as a people as we think about what God's called us to and how we can live into that. So so I have a very like whether or not we were in a particular situation as a church, there's this cultural need To talk about why the church actually exists and secondly in the near horizon as a church we are praying about and discussing the opportunity we have to add elders to our leadership structure it's something the church has been talking about for more than a decade or so so when I came and interviewed here a couple of years ago the question I kept getting was should we change the name of our church and what do you think about elders and so we just have prayed about both of those we changed the name about a year or so ago, and as we prayed about elders, we feel like we're at a space now where we're seriously considering that option as a church. And even as I say that, like a lot of you like, oh boy, oh no, or hallelujah, I'm not sure kind of how you relate to that, but even the idea of elders and leadership in the church has some sort of like baggage or connotation or some image in your mind. And so for us to be able to move forward as a church, even to pray and consider, and ultimately our people will vote on whether or not we should pursue that, it seemed like we needed to talk about uh, the eldership. I'm going to come to that whether you're a member of our church or not. We'll talk some more there about specific plans we have or dreams we have, even questions that we still have that we're wrestling with as a people. So that'll be October 15th. So I want to kind of lay some groundwork before that members meeting. We also have several like Q&A sessions that are coming up and we'll have another members meeting in December and then we'll sit on it for quite a while and then we'll probably vote sometime like in February or March as a people. So that's kind of where, where we're aiming. But it seemed important just to go, hey, what is the church supposed to be? And before you talk about elders, you have to talk about the context that they should be leading in, or their leadership doesn't make any sense. And even as I name like the trouble around kind of the culture, messy lady for sure, but there is a ton of beauty in what God has done, what he purchased with his own blood. And so I have a lot of hope even as we start the series. And if you're reading along with us, and I want to like maybe push this your way, we have a three-week reading guide. We're asking you to read the book of First Corinthians, it's an early church. These are first responders to the gospel message. So you hear an apostle instructing them on how they should be living. And you see a lot of things that we deal with. You see division, you see uh, favoritism, you see people getting preference over others, you see people preferring certain leaders over other leaders, you see sin, you see brokenness, you see issues with money, issues with with sexuality, you see issues with families, you see the things that we kind of live into. And into all of that. He is saying how they should be living as a people. So there's this desire to let God's word shape us kind of in a larger narrative. And then in here is also uh, passages that I think would be helpful for you. So surveying the scriptures, going what does the Bible say specifically about the church? I want to push this your direction. And so even for myself this week to start reading in 1 Corinthians, I just found a ton of hope. I don't know if you're tracking with us. If you are, maybe you saw this for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as he just gets out the gate, He's about to talk about divisions in verse 10 of chapter 1. But Before he goes there, he just names the idea that Jesus is in charge and that's a really comforting, good thing for us. So in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, You don't lack any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom we are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is mentioned there multiple times just in a handful of verses. And I don't think on accident as the Apostle Paul wants to speak to this community and they're struggling to figure out who they are, what it means to follow God. He is, he is Jesus forward in his understanding of what they should be about. So really to speak about a, a series on the church is to speak about Jesus. A series about what the church is is to talk about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And, and to say that then gives us just a ton of hope as a people. And, and as I say that, I realize as you're asking questions about this particular body, what I want to do in the next couple of weeks is just kind of put our cards on the table as far as who we are, what we're aspiring to. A lot of what we talk about will be aspirational. There are 10-year goals we have to be the kind of people that live into what we see in the pages of Scripture. But but I know a lot of you have been with us maybe for a year or two And you're kind of wondering, like, what is this place and who are we? And we have a a pretty complicated history as a church. The church was uh, planted in 1957 and grew pretty rapidly, actually, through the 60s and 70s, probably plateaued in the 80s and then has been on a long decline since then. So it came into uh, 2018, 2019 with questions about, how to go forward as a church should we sell the building and downsize a little bit should we merge with another church these were questions that the leadership of our church was praying for and then the pandemic hits in the middle of that and then our church faced a pretty acute crisis with the loss of one of our pastor's wives the summer of 2020 and then i came in december of 2020 and we have masks on and every other row is roped off Do you remember those kind of like dystopian days that we were living into and so that's the space that I kind of came into the church. And then we experienced this uh, remarkable, challenging, confusing, wonderful season of really rapid growth. We went from 40 people to 400 people, which is really fun and also pretty terrifying. And every time we would get to a space where we'd say, hey, we're getting to that spot. We should probably talk about two services. We would drop by 100 people. Everybody would be like, no, no, we're not going to two services. So everybody would back out. And so now we're like, well, who, who actually is with us? And how do we go forward. And so it has been like an exciting, tumultuous, beautiful, challenging season. And if you have questions about what this church is about, I think you're in a good spot. I think you should have questions. And so part of this series is just saying, hey, here's who we want to be. Here's how we're thinking about leadership. Here's what we think about men and women partnering together in leadership. Here's what we think about the church in general. And I hope it actually serves you to move towards this church if God's calling you here. So I might just say up front, like if you've been here for like maybe more than a year, um, I really want to encourage you to take our membership class that happens in a couple of weeks. It'll be a helpful kind of meeting for you for a couple of weeks to say who we are at the detailed level of what we're trying to do. If you have questions about this is a place where you should plug in and belong. So I just want to kind of not arbitrarily, but just in a helpful way, say about the one year mark, if you've been here longer than that, I want you to take this membership class with us and at least get some answers to the questions you've been wrestling with in a detailed way. And if you're struggling with that or feel um, troubled by that, you're not sure you're ready for that, then let's have a conversation and talk about where you are, what your story is, and where you are with church to think about how to, how to help move forward. So we care about your story. It's a pretty gracious place. No one's forced to do anything. But I want to invite you in because this text, as we just read speaks of the church not as disconnected people that just kind of float around and gather randomly for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It speaks of an interdependent body that, that actually requires the participation of the other members where you get to be covered and helped and blessed but also get to be part of that covering and blessing for somebody else. And so it takes some sort of commitment or some sort of a recognition of what God's doing here to be able to move forward. So, so I have that in my mind as well. I want to serve you by being clear as we can about what the church is for. So again, these Q&As, these members meetings, this reading guide, these sermons are all an attempt to kind of help us with that. So here's the plan for the next three weeks. I want to talk about the vision of the church as the body of Christ. Again, before we can talk about any leadership structures, you have to talk about what is the thing that we're trying to lead. So that's this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then we'll talk about a vision for church leadership with elders and deacons from 1 Timothy chapter 3 next week. And then we'll talk about a vision for men and women leading together from 1 Corinthians 11 in the following week. So that's where we're going over the next three weeks. And again, you can check out those Q&As. Mark your calendar for those. Would love for you to be a part of that. Okay. That's why we're doing this. Can I pray for us now? And then we'll jump in to this text um, asking Jesus to actually serve us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your body. And thanks that you're at work in your body. Apart from structures and our commitments and our clarity and our story, you promised to be at work. And even people gathering this morning here and online and who listen later to a podcast, it's a, it's a sign of you keeping your promise to make a people to win a bride for yourself. And so we, we gather with a sobering, beautiful reminder that this whole thing is about you. I pray that would be the taste in our mouth as we think about these three weeks. It would be too small of a thing just to talk about church structures or leadership or even some of our vision and plan. We must see you, the groom, the chief cornerstone, the great, the great shepherd, uh, the one who this whole thing is built around. We ask God that you would speak to us in these days so we understand what you're like that would shape how we understand how we relate as a people so so help us open up our hearts and i want to pray particularly for those who are carrying um, active wounds from trying to be a part of the body Uh, there have been lots of relationships and things happened in people's stories uh, that haven't been a good reflection of what you've wanted so would you do good to my sisters and brothers this morning who are who are wondering about how to go forward with the people. And even me calling for uh, them to step closer m- might feel overwhelming. So would you do good to people in their stories? And for those who don't yet know you, I pray the vision of what you're doing with people uh, would be compelling to draw them uh, to yourself. So, so that's a lot to ask on a random Sunday morning. Would you come? Would you help us? And would you move us forward? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you can tell already that I think we have to like unlearn some stuff when it comes to the church. We have inherited a cultural system where power and um, prestige and position in culture got confused with God's blessing and uh, his faithfulness to his people and the church uh, got confused in where its hope and identity came from. We've inherited that from uh, hundreds of years and even I think you would trace back to the first century, to, to millennium. There's a lot of fragments and questions and confusion that we have about what is the actual church. So we have some unlearning to do about the structure of the church. But but even beyond that, if you go upstream from that, we have some unlearning to do when it comes to power and authority. Uh, what, what is good? How, how we think about people kind of leading. All that has also been tainted and really Um, confusing and very potent ways where when I say church leadership you have a really clear vision in your head that may or may not match what the scriptures say it's formed often by our culture you can't help but think about chains of command and you can't help but think about a consumer mindset of like what goods and services does the church provide for me that are going to help me in my own journey as Americans I want to propose to you We just start a conversation about church from that space, from a consumer mindset and from an understanding of chain of command. And both of those get us off kilter when we think about how do we step towards God's teaching in the church. So so we have to go way upstream actually to the heart of Jesus to do some pre-work about what he's calling us to and what he says is actually important. We'll talk a lot about the upside down nature of the kingdom and if you're familiar with Jesus' teachings He was revolutionary in the way he talked about position and power and prestige when he said things like, the last is actually first. And if you want to be great, then you have to be a servant. And if you want to come follow me, you have to die to yourself. These things represent a consistent theme throughout Scripture of God saying that the way you understand power and privilege from the world is actually poisoned. It's been hissed over since the garden and there's lies that swirl around it that make you feel good or are compelling because of the culture you live in, but they're not actually the heart of God. So Jesus needs to define for us what his church is supposed to be about, how we actually think about engaging in structures like this. So again, you come with a consumer mindset and, and you think about how to engage with leadership from a chain of command. I don't imagine in just three weeks I'll be able to unravel some of that, but what I do hope to do is plant some seeds that 10 years from now would make us healthier. They would kind of capture our imagination and actually move towards a faith posture to the scriptures that say, if that's what Jesus is calling us to, maybe that's actually better than my view theologically. Like, Of course it's okay to ask those kinds of questions. The problem is they often get outsized So whenever there's conflict or tension, you have an automobile, and there are hundreds of options, and you just move on. And In that space now, we don't get a chance to think through how do we sharpen each other. What does it mean to be interdependently connected with one another? I just want to name that as a challenge. It just is the world we're in. I don't think we're going to go backwards. I think it is the way things wind up. But I want to just have you even consider as we start that you may have a baseline that may actually be shaped more by the world than by the scriptures. So I just want to have you be open to that idea. And it's into that same setting that this book of 1 Corinthians is written. I think they had just as much of a consumer mindset. You see division right out the gate in chapter 1. They're comparing leaders. Almost you could, uh, before podcast, you could imagine them they They preferred to listen to. And what you see in chapter 2 and 3 is the division that that begins to create. Chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about his own authority and he he asks them to question their understanding of what it means to be under someone's authority. And In that space, then you go into a conversation about sin and brokenness in chapter 5 and 6 and relationships in chapter 7. And then he gets into in chapter 8 and 9 and 10, How do we actually live in the world around us? What do we do about the the worship of our culture and what things are customs that we can or can't still be involved in? And you come to chapter 11 where you get a a teaching on men and women leading together in the church, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, and then he stops and talks about the Lord's Supper. to talk about the church in chapter 12. So after all of that, acknowledgement of their broken power without me explaining it. That is weird to say. And the surprise for the church. Look with me in verse 12. The source of the church. Don't miss this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. When Paul gives instruction to the church, he starts with Jesus. Again, it's not accidental that he just talked about the Lord's Supper, which would have been the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. I don't think it's a one-to-one parallel, but it would be ringing in their ears. Jesus died in our place. He broke his body. So when it talks of the body of Jesus, it's this broken body that he actually laid down on our behalf to make a people, to create a new family. That would be in their minds as they think about what it is they're gathering around. To gather around the person and work of Jesus is the reorienting nature that the church has to hold on to. You have to start with who God is and what he's done. And he just says, there's this body. It exists of many members. All the members come together as one. And that's the way Jesus is. He grounds their understanding in Christ. If you were to go back up in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, it talks about the lordship of Jesus. You can't actually follow after God unless you acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And then he goes into understandings of the gifts that come out of an understanding of the Trinity. Look in just in verse 4 of chapter 12. We didn't read this, but it's so beautiful. He says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, speaking of Jesus. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul has this Trinitarian orientation to help us understand diversity and unity Help us wrap our minds around the idea that God is doing something beautiful in the way that he's designed us, but it has himself at the center. He is the orientation point for the church. He is the source of the church. And you would say, well, of course, he's the bride. He's the head of the church. He's the cornerstone. He's the one this whole thing is built around. But can I just ask, like, is that actually primarily on your mind when you think about church? And you would go like, of course it is. Of course Jesus, and then we move on. But I wonder if we need to like sit in that space for a little bit to be trained and reoriented around who Jesus actually is and let that shape how we think about what we long for. What's a good church service? What's a healthy church? How you participate in the life of the body. Is the framework in your mind, the starting place, Jesus himself? I think it's instructive that when Paul walks through these gifts and the structure and all the things he's going to talk about the church he just plants this flag around Jesus being the source and that is healing for us because you may have been failed and let down by leaders like me in churches like this or actually by me or in this actual church and hear the good news that Jesus is trustworthy He, he will discipline his church he corrects his leaders he he will chastise and shape he will refine he is committed to his bride to present them one day spotless without wrinkle in ways that are beautiful he cherishes and nourishes and loves the body it's healing it's corrective and it's instructive to us it it says to us hey this is the main idea of the church so that's where verse 12 takes us the source of the church and then he says, all right, let me talk to you about the structure of the church, the way God actually has designed this thing to work. So go back in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, so all the members of the body, though many, are one body. And so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves and frees, there's this equality there that he's naming. And all were made to drink of one spirit. There's this unity and this diversity. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot should say because I'm not a hand I don't belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body And if the ear should say because I'm not an eye I don't belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body if the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing be if the whole body were an ear where would the sense of smell be but as it is God has arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose when it comes to the structure Paul helps us understand with this body imagery that there's this unity that we should live into with diversity of gifts and expressions in the body. And he kind of imagines this dialogue between different body parts or this comparison that might happen. And the obvious point there is that we need all the different parts of the body. And if you were to go back up to the beginning of chapter 12 again as well, you'll see him name these different, gifts these different roles and he merges them together roles and gifts things that you do and what God is doing inside of you inside the body so look with me like in verse 8 for one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by that same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit catch this here's the difference here's the unity To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Jesus determines the structure by giving gifts to individual people that then come together in the body. It's an image of an interdependent and unified whole. And he's the one who decides it. He's the one who apportions the gifts. He's the one who set them up exactly as he wanted. You get another list starting in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, an individual. You are are members of it. So there's this unity and this individuality. For God has appointed the church, first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? The answer to that is obviously no. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, which chapter 14 says, are the ones that most clearly teach us about who God is. And I will show you a more excellent way where he goes into love. Okay, he says there's a diversity. And I am the one, Jesus says, who arranges the body the way I Please, Which means the gifts you have, who you are, your experience, what he's calling you to, comes from him. That is the source of all of this. And the structure is designed by him. And he gives these different gifts. And we see these lists of gifts a couple of places. If you're taking notes, write down Ephesians chapter 4, round to verse 11, Romans 12, 6 through 8. You see similar lists. And what's fascinating is the lists are never exactly the same. When he talks about different gifts of the Spirit that God's given to the church, they're never exactly the same, which I think is instructive to us to say, we're not meant from this thing to codify them and label each other. We're meant to have this portrait painted for us of the variety and beauty of the way God designed the church to function. And the implied understanding that's so clear there is, you need the rest of the body so you can be healthy. No one member holds all of it together. You're you're designed with distinct roles but in equal ways to come together in spaces where you can actually now love and serve and grow together. God's actually built the diversity into the body as a gift to us, even though we struggle to live into its reality. Even though we often are comparing and ranking, our understanding of power and privilege sneaks in, and we're always wondering Who's in charge and who's more important and who gets their way and how do I leverage this situation or this person? All those things are quieted when we understand Jesus' body is made up of diverse parts designed that way by him specifically to actually show your need and so you can experience your needs being met. God didn't give any one person all the gifts so that we experience our corporate need for one another. And that would make sense if it's the body of Christ then it expresses our corporate need for Jesus. Then he's the one who's all sufficient. We're not sufficient. We come together to worship him. And from that space, he gives to the church what it needs to be healthy so that we can actually grow. The structure by God's plan and design is a diversity and a unity. We'll talk about some of the specific roles with elders and deacons. But that has to be rooted in this understanding of, of a diverse equality. You don't have to all be the same to still be equal. We can recognize and acknowledge different roles. We can acknowledge different understandings of what people do inside the church without diminishing their value. Again, this is countercultural because all of us just think in terms of like, like the Kansas City Chiefs. Who's more important to the Chiefs? Who gets paid the most? And if you don't like what you're getting paid, you hold out just a little bit and you'll probably get paid a little bit more. And that isn't about the church, but it's about the culture that you think about gifts well, some are quarterbacks, some are receivers, some are D-linemen, some are O-linemen. And you wonder by that, yeah, yeah, they're all equal. We need everybody, but you can't without Mahomes, come on. Or Colorado State, without an O-line, come on. I mean, those spaces, we just see like the value and the price tag on gifts. So when this is talking about unity and equality with diversity, we've got some work to do to unlearn some things. The structure of this. Really matters. And I want to just say out loud Christ has a healing word for us not to compare and rank one another. I want to get to this kind of like struggle that we have with comparing and ranking, but let me just talk for a second about this structure. It implies a seen group of people. You can tell what's part of your body and what's not part of your body. This, of course, is where we get the idea of church membership from. Membership is not a biblical word that you'll see, but it's a reality you see expressed. A ton of different places throughout the scriptures and and one of them here is this idea that you're interdependently connected which means you're committed to one another membership is the way our church for 65 plus years has decided to express the reality of engaging with one another with with a commitment to each other to serve and pray for and sacrifice and come alongside of it's like who, who's here who do we belong to? Who, who is getting our attention? And of course, people outside the body, we want to love and serve, but there's a special kind of connection to your own body that just makes sense. It's not inward focused. It's not clickish. It just makes sense and is the reality of the way God designed the church to function and serve. So, so membership is this reality. Again, I want to invite you to jump in to that with us. Just a little expression here of people wanting to join. The reason why we do that is because in our church we're what's called a congregational church which means our church votes to approve. It says yes to people in the body. We don't just kind of grow randomly or just because the pastor says so. That would be of no advantage to you. Not a very American verse but it's right there in the text that God designs in these different gifts there to be a leadership structure in the church and it says you should follow your leaders. You should obey and submit to your leaders just kind of try that on for a second okay and then there's a very real sense in which I am under your authority that we're a congregational church means any member of our church at any time can call for a business meeting give two weeks notice and a three-fourths vote and I'm out okay so I'm very much underneath the authority of the church when we gather to vote I get one vote I think the authority structure of our church shows Kind of a mutuality and an interdependence with some diversity and differences. There's a sense in which it's good in God's design that you have leaders that are helping you watch over your soul. That's a gift to you. Quickly comes in our American understanding of power and prestige and org charts and chains of command, and we wonder, is it worth it or how good are they doing? In that space, so you gotta understand in God's design, He's given leadership to the body, it's part of the structure. And because it's interdependent, it mitigates against this rogue expression of narcissistic leadership that we have seen. For the hand just to go off and do whatever it wants with no regard for the body would be so damaging and hurtful. So there's a place of just leaning into authority. We'll talk more about it next week. But we get a chance to resist like privatism and individuality in ways that actually in our culture are seen as the highest good the church puts us in a space where we actually see the love of God freeing us to love one another. So we get to avoid competition and ranking. We get to value both voices of men and women. We get to value different ages. We get to value different perspectives. We get to value different gifts inside the church because of the way God has designed it. And this shapes us in like what I think are beautiful, even if they're kind of clunky ways that match your family. So we do like family worship once a quarter. When we don't have kids ministry, the kids are inside the service. It's hilarious. It's challenging. It gives our workers a break. It lets moms and dads worship with their kids. It gives a chance for people who don't have kids to hold babies for a little bit in the service so mom and dad can focus. The pastor has to submit himself to a 20-minute sermon so we don't melt down and go crazy inside the service. There's mutuality all over that thing. It's a beautiful expression of being part of the family. We're part of the family when we pray for one another, when we share meals together. When we have this high involvement in our kids' ministry, it's a beautiful expression of our interdependent connectedness. Multi-generational settings where we get to sit down with one another and love one another and listen to one another. Serving outside these walls together show the mission of God that we're on together. Even little things like this beautification day on October 7th is a way for us to express that we're part of a family and we all have a part to play in those places. It's why we value participation over performance. We try to fill this place in our classes and our small groups with people who are leading. So we usually have corporate prayer every Sunday, which Adam just prayed for our families, but normally 50 weeks out of a year, one of our members comes and leads us in prayer on Sunday morning. And they get to pray their burdens and their heart, men and women, young and old. It's a way of living into the different gifts of our body and letting you hear from Different perspectives. Of course, child dedication would be a beautiful expression of that. We get to live into a family without stereotypes of strengths and weaknesses or men and women, young and old, as we get to value one another. I just want to make the case here that the structure is good. And I think when Jesus comments on the unity of the body, what he's saying is that when God's people love one another, the world will watch that there's a mission part of this there's a, a compelling apologetic to the world when random people sit together and are committed to one another because you no longer uh, no more choose the whole body of Christ than you choose your own physical body you were just given that and so a lot of ways we gather with people that we may not even wouldn't um, be in the same area of town or wouldn't normally overlap with and now we get to be committed to serve and come alongside one another God structured it that way to show himself beautiful, and so all of us could participate in interdependent, unified ways. That, that's what the church is meant to live into. And you could just ask, how are we doing? How are you doing? Does that match kind of what you think about the church? Are you thinking about your commitment and contribution to the church being essential? It just says, like, I mean, if you were not there, where, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body was... All one kind, it would be missing in things. Do you see yourself as necessarily needing people in this room and as providing something that they need? And again, arrogant, world, power, prestige, chain of command. Don't think like that. Think about the way Jesus has been talking and the way this passage has been instructing us. These are all gifts given by him for others. It's not about you in the ways where you can now boast or rank or compare. He gets glory as we share these gifts together this interconnectedness doesn't happen on our own terms and yet when you gather people in a room together from a culture that actually has been pushing an individualism since the garden there's places where all kinds of struggle begins to happen so let me go there quickly the text is realistic to name the struggles that we have just real quickly look, look in verse 15 and 16 the foot shouldn't say because I'm not a hand I don't belong to the body it's insecurity When you have different gifts, you have different people, you kind of be in the same room. One of our pitfalls is insecurity. Drop down to 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, which would be pride. So the two ditches of insecurity and pride are named in this text and they're answered by understanding it's the body of Jesus that gives us our orientation where we can actually move towards health and wholeness. We've been living in the flesh for so long, even in 1 Corinthians 3, Chapter 3, he says, you're acting like mere humans when you compare and divide. We just inherited a very fleshly understanding of people and ourselves. And the church, as a contrary community, as a community that's redemptive and living in light of who Jesus is, gets a chance to actually correct and challenge the individualism and the selfishness and the prioritizing of certain gifts over other gifts. We get a chance to embrace Unity there. He just names the struggle that we have with pride and insecurity. And then he gives a surprising solution as we close. Jesus says that the church is an upside-down kingdom, and we see it in this text. Look in verse 22 of chapter 12. After he said that I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Those that we would throw away and discard, they're actually indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on unpresentable parts, we treat them with greater modesty, which of more presentable parts don't actually require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. As you understand that, read into that Jesus' teaching of the last being first. The surprise in this text is the kingdom reversal where the last are first, the weak are strong. Those who we see as maybe like need to be covered up are actually the most important ones. Those who normally lack honor are actually most honored. The unpresentable parts are actually ones that we treat with the greatest respect and modesty. This surprise is what Jesus models for us when the king of the universe comes into our world as born of a peasant girl in an occupied country 2,000 years ago, immediately becomes a refugee, leaves his country, flees to Egypt, and lives in abject poverty his entire life. Our king modeled an upside-down kingdom. So if he's the orientation to the body, of course there would be this surprise to understanding how and why we gather. Not chain of command, not, not consumerism, but Jesus modeling for us as the king of the universe, which Philippians 2 says he emptied himself of everything to come down into our space to give us everything we needed so that we could be in a relationship with him. That's the surprise orientation of the kingdom. And from that space, our king says, live into this. In Mark chapter 10, as the disciples are debating who's the greatest and who's gonna sit at the right and the left, this is our question of the flesh. Who has the most prominence? Who has most importance? Who's gonna be more special in your kingdom? Jesus says, you don't get it at all. Son of man actually came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is the primary orientation and starting place for the church to have its own identity. From a king who flipped it upside down, we get to live into an upside down kingdom where the last are first and the first are last. Which is why he says, let me tell you about what's most excellent. And he wants to talk about love in chapter 13, which which we know is this, necessary framework when you have people that are different to actually not keep records of wrong and not, not give entitlement to people and not be bitter, not be holding on to resentful things, not be boastful or rude or proud, but instead to pattern after the love of God which emptied himself. And so First John chapter 4 tells us that, that Jesus modeled love for us when he died in our place and it's his sacrificial death that is the starting place even for love that we're trying to live into in the body, Which again, to just stop and say, hey, right before he talks about the church, he talks about the Lord's Supper. So that weekly we remind ourselves of our identity as a church, that we are a broken people. And we only have hope in life because God himself broke his body and shed his blood on our behalf to give us an identity and a hope. Hey, a lot of this is aspirational. You should still have lots of questions. But I wanted to plant a flag this morning that what we're talking about when we talk about the church is about Jesus. And he frames for us how to go forward. And he says what he's done in this beautiful, diverse, and interdependent body is what we most need. Because it reflects kind of our need for him and our ability to actually engage with one another. In the mercy of God, by the grace of God, showing the love of God to one another. So so we gather to talk about Jesus. That's the point of the church. And so it makes sense that we would take communion Communion is this meal that shows the body of Jesus being in communion. i to pray for you, that'll be outside these doors to the right by those couches. You get to practice this interdependent connectedness, neediness, even right now. And it's counterintuitive, right? Because you want to be the strong one, but you could go be prayed for and have somebody at cup, and it will remind you of the orientation we have around the body of Jesus in the church. There's like this who emptied himself and came into our world, he made this strange thing called the church to give himself glory and to show his faithfulness to. An unfaithful people. If that's what the church is about, then you you're welcome here. You're welcome to let that story become your story. There's prayers in the back of the bulletin that will give you some examples of how to pray. Let me pray for us now, and then we'll take communion together. Jesus, we ask for your help. You, you are the one who this whole thing is about, and now we get a chance to just say out loud. Without you, we have nothing. But you did come. You you broke your body. You shed your blood so we could have salvation and help. Would you make that our foundation, we ask. And would you fill the room with joy because of that? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, come when you're ready.